G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What happens when serious stuff goes wrong in our lives? Some of us might fear going to pieces, losing strength, losing hope. Well, our special guest today went through the harrowing experience several years ago of a badly misdiagnosed heart attack and the subsequent surgery that saved his life with only a 50-50 chance of living or dying, but it left him seriously and permanently physically diminished. So what happens when you are hovering between life and death? Well, our conversation today is about how to draw on a well of deep, sustaining resources when things go bad and everything is out of our control. Our special guest is Bruce Wilson, who has just released his latest book. It's called Bless You, Heart Attack, For Being in My Life, Wrestling with Death, Health, Self and Spirit. Bruce is a sociologist, a theologian and an Anglican bishop. He's best known for his 1980s bestseller, Can God Survive in Australia? And he is our special guest coming through this next hour. Bruce Wilson, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. It's good to be here. Bruce, I bet you never thought you'd be writing a book about this, but the circumstances in our lives don't always go as we think they should. You take an opportunity in your book not only to reflect on the dreadful things that happen to you, but then you talk about what that really means in light of your faith in God. I wonder if you can give us a little insight here as we come to your story around the circumstances that led to you being in a place where you were spiralling out of control here. I think, to be fair, Neil, I've got to say right at the beginning that there are other people have suffered much worse things than me, and I'm not trying in any way uh, to sort of have a cry story about me. Um, I say right at the beginning of the book that it's not my purpose to focus morbidly or self-indulgently on life-threatening illness, but it's rather to explore what happens to a person, particularly a spiritual person, a Christian person, as you come to grips with quite unexpected and really difficult things going wrong in your life. And one of the things that disturbs me is I meet so many people who, because of my uh, constant hospital visits, who go through... Uh, life-threatening, life-endangering experiences, and it's if nothing changes. As long as they get reasonably better, life just goes on, and they don't ask the deep questions that I think come out of an experience where things really go wrong, Job-like, if you like, in your life. 
Bruce, there's a Christian position which is really at the shallow end of the pool sometimes where we don't anticipate that anything will go wrong if we have faith in Christ and there are some streams in our own Christian faith that might be a little bit flippant about things that go wrong. What are your thoughts here? Because given your ability to think deeply through these issues, uh, these are the sorts of things you can't easily just brush away under the carpet. These are realities, aren't they? Very much so. And I mean, one of the great realities of life is that there is suffering and uh, that there is an enormous amount of suffering in our world. I mean, we in Australia are very privileged to have some of the best uh, caring hospitals, for example, and medical expertise to deal with physical things when they do go wrong. But as Christians, we are just part of the fallen world where things do go wrong. We're not exempted from them. It's, in my view, what we do when those things do go wrong. Uh, Do we identify with the sufferings of Christ, for example, and I don't mean in any morbid sense. But if the Lord suffers for us and we suffer ourselves, uh, surely we've got to ask the question, well, what does, what does, what's happening to me, whether the suffering is physical or whether it's social, like a broken marriage, for example, or a, a suicide in a family? Um, what has God got to say to me in these circumstances. Well, we're going to unpack some of those things about what God is saying in the circumstances, but let's just uh, revisit your story here, and uh, you can take us through a a few of the things that have happened to you that uh, sent you into really a spiral uh, where things were out of control and and you were faced with this idea of the despair or uh, calling on some deep wells of hope that you were able to uh, able to access. But uh, but take us back to the heart attack and uh, the subsequent surgery that went on after that. Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I didn't really know it was a heart attack. Uh, I'd woken up early in the morning, about one o'clock in the morning, with uh, intense pain in my shoulder and I'd thought that uh, oh my goodness maybe um, that's the result of that shoulder having a football injury but decades before in fact uh, it was my uh, my college which was more college in Sydney and the Baptist College playing each other uh, a game of rugby league and I'd got tackled and I dislocated my shoulder and I'd first of all I put it down to that but the pain was just persistent and persistent until, as it were, I became the pain. And I went off to the doctors, and uh, it wasn't my normal doctor because he was uh, on leave that day. And I explained what was going on as best I could because I was absolutely doubled over with excruciating pain. And um, I said to the doctor, could I be having a heart attack because my father had a heart attack at the age I am now, and he had this shoulder pain. And the doctor said to me, well, uh, are you breathless? I said, no. Uh, He got me to uh, sort of exercise the shoulder. uh, And he said, oh, well, you're not breathless. You're definitely not having a heart attack. Um, My best guess is pleurisy. Uh, 
and uh, he prescribed drugs for me and I went home that night and uh, my wife was there. I'd, we were moving house and I'd, I'd, she wasn't going to be there that night but I'd rung and asked her to come because of the circumstance and I, I just said to her, you know, I just feel like I'm not going to live through the night. I'm dying. I feel like I'm going uh, to die. And the only thing I could do that night to get to sleep, because I felt I was sort of uh, alive over a yawning abyss of death, uh, was the Jesus Prayer of the Eastern Church, which uh, I knew fairly well. I didn't use very often, but Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, I, I just went to sleep saying the Jesus prayer and following uh, the tradition of the Eastern Church about the Jesus prayer, you breathe in with the first phrase and then you breathe out with the second. Uh, so, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I was flooded with peace with that. And uh, although I didn't expect to wake up, really, um, I did go to sleep peacefully. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And really, in those moments, as you say, you thought you were going to die. You didn't think you'd wake up. And you relied on a simple prayer that undoubtedly you had prayed and heard um, perhaps many decades before. It stayed with you. And that was the prayer that came to mind uh, when you thought that you were going to die. Yes. it's uh, what What's the Eastern... Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners are aware, one of the great divisions amongst Christians is the Eastern and the Western Church. The Western Church, of course, is uh, the Protestant, the Catholic, the Pentecostal. Uh, the, the Eastern Church we normally think of in terms of, say, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Coptic. Uh, there is that other great tradition of Christian faith, which many people in the West are unaware of, and it has a great tradition of worship and of prayer. And they call this Jesus Prayer, which is goes right, right back to uh, the, the desert monks of the early centuries of the church. They call it the prayer of the heart, where it's not, it is the, the words do matter, but it's simply a simple prayer where you where you relate as it were heart to heart or being to being to god and it's that that i called upon at that time and that was the provision god gave me on that occasion this is 2020 with neil johnson helping you make sense of life culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on vision Bruce Wilson is our guest. His book is called Bless You Heart Attack for Being in My Life, Wrestling with Death, Health, Self and Spirit. Uh, Bruce, let's just quickly come to your title for a moment because some people might even be uh, in some ways offended by the idea that you might think that the heart attack is something that is good that might happen to you. Uh, give us a little insight here because uh, I'm aware of where this foundation's come from, but uh, you drew on some uh, pretty deep uh, issues and personalities to come up with your title for your book. 
Yes. I mean, uh, some people would say, um, oh, sorry, the, the title in one sense is meant to provoke thought. That, that's quite deliberate. Um, people don't normally go around blessing heart attacks. Uh, in, in fact, in a strict theological sense, um, you, it's, it's only God you bless uh, or God who blesses you. But the title, I, I wanted to be arresting to so, to, so that people could see that when bad things happen to people, and I'm not saying bad things happen just to good people because I'm not claiming to be good, but when bad things happen to us, including those of us who uh, are disciples of Jesus, um, what do we make of them? Uh, are we going to see some deep purpose happening in them in our lives? Not that God is going to visit you with a heart attack intentionally. I'm not saying that. But when you do experience as part of a fallen world a heart attack, um, it comes as a shock because you are now out of control of your body. Your body has done something really big uh, and is going to leave you uh, to some degree incapacitated for the future that you don't want to happen. And I was struck by a phrase by uh, a Christian I've always admired, and here again I'm going to talk about the Eastern Church because I'm talking about a wonderful Russian Christian uh, who was well known during the period of the Cold War, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And um, he was imprisoned for his challenges to atheistic Marxism uh, in Russia uh, through his many wonderful novels and what he said about his imprisonment in Siberia was and I quote bless you prison bless you for being in my life for there lying upon the rotting prison straw I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity as we are made to believe but the maturity of the human soul and it was the sense of deep growth into God and that meant into the world God has created that was what led me to be able to bless my heart attack of all things. And that goes across the board for all forms of suffering as you began to indicate. But is suffering then like a doorway to understanding the purposes and the power and the uh, ways that God deals with humanity? What are your thoughts around uh, suffering being like an, 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 a door opening here, Bruce? Well, <laughs> I remember when, when I was chaplain at the University of New South Wales, uh, a Jewish student came to see me and I was discussing the question of suffering with her. And uh, her parents had uh, fled Europe during the Holocaust. And uh, her comment to me has always rung in my ears. The problem with Australians, and she was quite critical, although she had become an Australian herself. The problem with you Australians, she said, uh, is that you haven't suffered enough and therefore you don't understand life. 
Now, that struck me at the time as weird uh, because I was too immature to realise the truth of what she was saying. And if you look at the scriptures, um, the problem of suffering is in many ways the great problem that the scriptures discuss, highest of all in the book of Job, but also uh, in, say, St. Paul's reflections upon the sufferings of of Christ and, the, and, of course, in a very profound theological way, the redemptive sufferings of Christ. Uh, Paul talks at one stage about us participating in the sufferings of Christ. And I think it kind of just means we participate in the fallenness of the world that Christ's own sufferings redeem us from. Jesus, the suffering servant, as we'll often refer to him, uh, he had an unfailing trust in God, knowing that he would go even to the cross. And he taught his disciples to do the same thing. And so this idea of suffering, not something that should be unusual for Christians, uh, oftentimes we think of suffering that could be uh, self-imposed. Uh, you know, you put yourself in the line of suffering. Say, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in some sense, uh, you know, you're going to be a minister of the gospel, you might have some opposition. Then you have those who are in the persecuted church around the world. But you're bringing in here and, and the suffering of the individual also into health issues and the, the challenges that we might have around health or the way that we're into survival mode for some right now under COVID-19 and the challenges of losing jobs and things like that. So all of these issues are suffering here. Jesus has led the way, Bruce. Um, led the way. And, of course, if you think about his cry of dereliction from the cross, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we see in, in that cry of dereliction is, is, as it were, God's identification with our suffering. Jesus doesn't curse God. He doesn't say, why have you let this happen to me? Or, you know, um, this is absolutely awful. Uh, you must be a, a horrendous being. He prays, and he prays for understanding. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, of course, we know through the resurrection that he wasn't forsaken. Um, but that experience of forsakenness, if Jesus has that experience, and we're disciples of Jesus, we really shouldn't be surprised if there are times in some of our lives not necessarily all of our lives, but I think most of us, when we do feel that forsakenness uh, of God in what's happening to us. Bruce, uh, coming up to news in just a moment, did you, when you were in the swaying balance between life and death, did you feel forsaken by God? Or was though those uh, deep issues of faith, did they come to the fore and uh, give you some confidence and hope? Well, funnily enough, no, I didn't feel forsaken by God, and perhaps we could uh, talk about that a little later. Um, it, it, I, I had a couple of very, very strange, affirmative experiences. Bruce, you like to talk about this idea hovering between life and death a little bit like floating on a sea of death. Uh, what does that mean when you describe the feeling when you are potentially could live or die. What does floating on the sea of death mean to you? 
Well, what happened to me, I, I was in hospital after my heart attack and uh, I was stented, that's to say uh, an artery in my heart was opened up and a stent fitted to allow the blood supply to go through uh, because the heart attack is a blockage. And uh, that all went fairly well. But while I was still in hospital that night, all, everything then went even further wrong. And uh, I, to cut a long story short, um, I was faced with a surgeon uh, who said, um, you've got less than 24 hours to live. We have to operate on you urgently. Um, your heart is only being held together with blood clots, you've got uh, an aneurysm of the ventricle in the heart that uh, pumps the blood into your body um, and uh, if we can um, open you up and repair that, well then you will uh, live. If we don't do that, uh, you will be dead, as I said, within uh, 24 hours. Now, how I asked myself looking back, how did I get to sleep that night? I've already spoken this morning about how I got to sleep on the night of the heart attack. That night, uh, words of scripture came to me from St. Paul. Uh, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I found such strength uh, in those words that uh, I went to sleep like a baby knowing that uh, at 7 o'clock the next morning, and this was probably now 10 o'clock at night, uh, I'd be wheeled off to surgery for an operation where I've always had the understanding I only had a 50-50 chance to live. My son says it was worse. Um, he's a barrister with a good mind who remembers things. He said they said you only had a 40% chance of living. But those words of Scripture meant that I found a great peace in God, knowing that whether I lived or whether I died, I was the Lord's. And those words uh, from Romans chapter 14, they're a part of an Anglican burial service. And so as an Anglican minister, you would have used those words time and time again. Undoubtedly, you've done many a funeral over the years where you've been reflecting at that funeral on what it is to live and what it is to die. And uh, those words, undoubtedly, if you're talking about memorizing scripture, those were really a part of you because no doubt you've spoken them so many times, Bruce. Yes, uh, that, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, in the Anglican uh, service of... Um burial or cremation you have a selection of uh, scriptural uh, verses that you can choose from and I invariably chose amongst the two or three I would use uh, those verses and they're right up the front at the beginning of the service and I think they point to something uh, that every Christian person needs to take in incredibly deeply that we are going to die, we may suffer in the processes of dying, or we may suffer in the processes of life, because I don't want to talk about these things just in terms of what happens to us physically, what happens to us socially, losing a job, for example, without any hope of a job. Um, we, are, 
we are always in the Lord, uh, or we can always be in the Lord. Of course, it's it's uh, it's up to us. But I knew that whether I lived or whether I died uh, that night on the eve of very dangerous surgery, uh, I was in God, and God was in me. Ordinarily, we try to avoid pain at every opportunity and we want to avoid suffering. Is there something in us that gets us well prepared for when the worst happens and we're thrust into this whole idea, as you're describing it, floating on the sea of death? We're trying to avoid it for our whole lives and and we've We've got this other narrative, as you mentioned a little earlier, and uh, you were quoting Alexandra Solzhenitsyn and uh, just the incredible insights that he had, uh, suffering in the gulags and uh, having everything had taken away from him. So ordinarily we're trying to avoid pain, but is there something we ought to be looking for, Bruce, in what pain leads us to, the idea of growing somehow? That's exactly it. It certainly was my experience. I mean, I grew up uh, with a Christian background that rightly emphasised the grace and generosity of God um, in forgiving sins. And I felt this is pre my heart attack, pre the, the surgery, pre the big medical mistakes that occurred. Um, very comfortable with the sense that I was a, a forgiven person, um, that uh, my life was fairly smooth. Um, I was a reasonably good person and a reasonably competent uh, Christian pastor. Um, and uh, yet all of a sudden I was hit by these this uncontrollable happening. And oddly enough, one of the things that led me to was that I had become a very complacent kind of Christian. I wasn't examining my life. I wasn't growing more Christ-like. I taught that we are meant to grow more and more Christ-like. I gave plenty of sermons on it. And yet when I looked at my life, I think I'd, I'd, hit, a, I'd hit a dead end, that I wasn't becoming more Christ-like. And it was, would be very stupid of me to think that I'd arrive when I should be journeying. And uh, the suffering that happened to me, not that I wanted it, not that I welcomed it, but that was inevitably came my way, led to a great sense of needing to uh, renew myself and uh, examine myself very carefully um, and in becoming more Christ-like uh, in my living and uh, acting. And that becoming more Christ-like, obviously when people are a part of a local church and there's a pastor or there's a priest, there's somebody who's involved in some discipling process, whether it's the preaching of God's biblical word on a Sunday or whether it's those sort of discipleship gatherings that you might have through the week, these are all about us being more Christ-like. Is there some encouragement here, Bruce, to take more seriously what we're receiving from our local church, uh, what we do with our own prayer life, or how we might be committed to being a better disciple of Christ because 
of the sorts of things you're sharing here? The let's we say that God is love, and we see the love of God especially in the life of Christ. We see that the life and death, the sufferings of Christ, uh, are what redeems us, and that we're meant to take up our cross and follow. If we take up our cross and follow, we are confident uh, that God will infuse us with resurrection life, but we are also, we're taking up the cross. We're not just uh, experiencing things going wrong in our own lives. We're looking at being loving and caring for the things that are going wrong in other people's lives because we are seeking to become God-like, which means Christ-like. And that means, uh, and this is the, the, the word that struck me after all this more than anything else, I felt that I had become a much, much more compassionate person through what had happened to me. Um, now, whether I am or not will be really for others and God to judge, but I feel I am. I feel I am a much more loving, compassionate person about other people's troubles and sufferings than I was before my uh, near-death experiences with the heart attack. So when we go thing, through things beyond our control, suffering experiences, we have this extra ability to empathise with others who are going through suffering. And the ability then, we might assume, increases when we're able to share that hope that is within us because of our faith in Christ, that others too might be able to also grab a hold of that faith, grab a hold of that hope that we're able to share. And this takes us, doesn't it, a, a level deeper than the idea of just sharing words when we share the gospel. Because now sure. we're actually empathizing with people in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, of being like him. My, my book aims not just to speak to the Christian family. It is very much aimed uh, also to speak to those who, through their own sufferings, are seeking. And uh, I don't know whether I've achieved that or not. I've had some feedback which suggests the book does do that, with Christian people giving the book to their friends and uh, enabling them to see things that they've not seen before. I see the book as a memoir of what happened to me, uh, as an explanation of uh, uh, Christian faith and in, to some extent answering some of the big critiques that uh, are very popular in our culture now coming from um, uh, atheistic philosophers and scientists in particular. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the things that I, I quote in the book is from another, would you believe, um, great Eastern Christian, the novelist Dostoevsky. And he was imprisoned at one stage, uh, basically, again, for uh, his faith and what uh, he stood up for uh, in just pre-revolutionary Russia. Uh, he could see the communists coming with their atheism and uh, they saw him as a, a, a potential centre of dissent. 
And so he too was imprisoned in Siberia like Solzhenitsyn. And he wrote this, in my spiritual solitude, this is in a terrible prison camp in uh, freezing Siberia, I reviewed all my past life and went over it to the smallest detail, judged myself sternly, and even sometimes blessed God for sending me this solitude. So there's a man <laughs> imprisoned in Siberia feeling that he is uh, undertaking spiritual growth in his relationship with God in those circumstances. And he wrote a whole book about it called The House of the Dead. I think there's going to be some listeners uh, now uh, struggling with the spelling, trying to jot down the names Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn uh, to get those deep insights because they are very powerful. But let's stay with Jesus for a few moments here. And we've talked about Jesus, the suffering servant. And let's connect here, if we can, what it is that gives you the empowerment to suffer even to the point of losing your life on the cross. Uh, We've been talking about floating on the sea of death, and uh, we noted that uh, when you uh, you were in those depths of despair that you didn't feel like God had forsaken you, and and it may be because of the hope that you had within you. But let me just reflect here, and I'll get your thoughts. Here's Jesus on the cross having gone through all of the suffering that he's led up to this point where he is going to die. And he has an appreciation that death will not hold him down, that he will be raised, because he predicted that he'd be raised after the, on the third day. What happens when you understand that resurrection follows the suffering is that hope is born in the heart. What are your thoughts here, Bruce, about the strength that comes from knowing the resurrection follows the suffering? Uh, Well, I agree with what you've said, Um, but I think sometimes people jump to the resurrection too quickly uh, and never deal with uh, the question of suffering, and therefore we become very shallow in our Christian walk, and we don't really follow the way of the cross. Um, Jesus is raised, but the Jesus who is raised is the Jesus who uh, was incarnated and born through the Virgin Mary. Uh, He is the Jesus who died on the cross and in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, as it were, almost argued with God, take this from me. He doesn't want to go through it. So there's not some... I think, I, I think we've somehow either got to see that we as Christians have got to live the whole life of Jesus as he lived it. Now, I, might, I do believe that I will be raised, but that doesn't take away from the things I have to deal with in my life now that are more like the cross than the resurrection. And, of course, I have resurrection experiences, including in this life. I mean, there are days when you feel you're almost in heaven. Everything is so wonderful. And there are days when you're absolutely in the pits and feel like, you know, God, why are you letting this happen to me? So to be Christ-like is to live the whole life, the whole journey of Christ uh, 
ourselves in our everyday living. And uh, I think we, we, we mustn't jump past the cross to resurrection, uh, and nor must we stay at the cross morbidly and, and not go to resurrection. There's a totality there that spiritually we are meant to live out, I think, daily in our lives. Wow, great insights. There's some listeners who've uh, left some comments on our Facebook post today. Let me reflect some of those. Uh, Susan says, I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. Why would I want to live a very long time in this horrible earth filled with pain and suffering? I've experienced much pain in my life, but we also know that whatever the enemy intends for evil, God turns it around for our good. Uh, any thoughts here for Susan on that comment at all, Bruce? Oh, well, Susan's touched on a, a, a very uh, deep sense that God works all things together for good um, for those that love God. And, uh, that, of course, those words of St. Paul, um, which is my experience. Um, and that's why I can say, bless you, heart attack. Another listener, Suze, I think it is, who says, I've been in a hard place health-wise and remained strong in faith, but too, I have been in a hard place watching loved ones suffer, and I sometimes get angry with God. I feel God accepts both and understands this. I'm still talking to him either way. Uh, that comes back to the question that I asked, and, uh, you know, will you be angry with God if you're in that point of suffering? What are your thoughts for that listener? God's got very big shoulders and we shouldn't hold back on feeling angry with God. Um, if we think otherwise, we don't know the scriptures and uh, the, the scriptures we need to start reading of Psalms where this wrestling with God about all sorts of things, especially uh, injustice, uh, economic and social injustice, the explo exploitation uh, of the poor by the rich, um, yes, I, I understand that, that notion very well. And uh, surely that's what, at least in what, Je what Jesus' miracles were about, to uh, demonstrate in uh, an acted gospel uh, God's concern for the sufferings of the world. We talked a little earlier about uh, the idea of uh, of, uh, of uh, we talk about malfunctioning bodies for a moment here, and uh, there's this sort of idea, isn't there? When you're younger, and particularly young men, we're sort of bulletproof, but a time comes when we're struck with a a health issue, and and uh, and of course we talk about malfunctioning bodies. It's not just for those who are aging that have the malfunctioning bodies. It happens for young people as well. Uh, so it's not just about being old here, Bruce. This is actually the sort of thing that, when you can think about these things while you are young, this is going to give you absolute wonderful wisdom for all of life. What are your thoughts here for younger people listening into our conversation? and, uh, and uh, talking about these issues of suffering and being prepared. I, I grew up in a family where my dad was an atheist and my mum was um, what, a, Christ, a Christmas and Easter Christian, a cultural Christian more than a personal Christian. Um, 
And by the time I was in my late teens, I felt that I lived in a very, very empty world, a, a world really sort of empty of, of meaning and purpose. And uh, so I, <laughs> I identify very much with a sense of uh, walking with God in one's youth because that's when I became a Christian in my late teens. I'm now in my late 70s. Uh, and uh, I've walked the walk uh, for a very long time. And my sense is that uh, age has got almost nothing to do with uh, our need for our walk with God. Um, if we don't walk with God, we worship some kind of idol or other. And that's what Solzhenitsyn is saying uh, in the, that quote that I have from him and from, the, from which I borrowed my title, uh, life is not prosperity as we are made to believe. I mean, particularly in Australia, until recently, I mean, COVID has uh, shaken our foundations, but we were almost the most wealthy country in the world. Uh, I have a friend who said, it's no good talking to Australians about heaven. They think they've got it already. Um, but that, that's a very shallow attitude if that is true. Solzhenitsyn says it's not prosperity, uh, it's the maturity of the human soul. It's, it's, if you like, it's our growth into God. It's our belonging to the very source itself of all of life, mine and the universe's. That's what life is about, and that's an ongoing and wonderful thing, and it's about following Jesus, because that is, he is the revelation of this way. Well, it's just our absolute privilege today to have you take us into some deeper waters, Bruce. And uh, there was one uh, listener who, in fact, did call in, who said, can you let Bruce know that what he shared today has affirmed me, this is Joan, her name, and Joan, thank you so much for your calling in, has affirmed Joan in her faith, and she's incredibly grateful. And I'm sure there are many other listeners who've gleaned some uh, wonderful things over this past hour. Uh, Bruce, I do want to draw attention to your book. I think you'd love to see your book in people's hands. Uh, not just uh, older people, although I suspect that there are some who are growing a little older and maybe facing some of these sorts of issues uh, because of uh, growing older. They'll want to get a hold of it. But I certainly think that the insights that you share, if these can be grasped by the young, uh, you will preserve a generation and really sow into lives that wonderful hope. The book is called Bless You, Heart Attack, For Being In My Life. Wrestling with Death, Health, Self and Spirit. The author is Bruce Wilson. The publisher of the book is Coventry Press. But if you Google the title of the book and the name of Bruce Wilson, undoubtedly you'll come across it and you'll be able to access that and uh, buy it online and have it delivered wherever you might be all around Australia. Bruce has written a number of books. Let me just mention another couple. Can God Survive in Australia? And another one called Reasons of the Heart. But the one we're talking about today, Bless You Heart Attack, for being in my life, wrestling with death, health, self and spirit. Uh, Bruce Wilson, just uh, humbling to uh, hear your insights and thank you so much for taking that time to share these things with listeners today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a privilege to be with you. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.